Awesome, hello Fuse, how's everyone doing tonight? Here in Anderson at every campus, if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, most of you probably have no idea who I am. My name is Nathan Wood, and I have the honor of being uh, the Hilton Head uh, Fuse pastor. Uh, shout out to my Hilton Head family. I love you guys. I believe in you guys. I can feel your support in this camera. It's an honor to be up here uh, and just bring God's word with us to finish up our series, Wild Testament. And just so you guys know, I've, I've been around New Spring since 2008. I've been a part of Fuse since 2010, which means I'm old and I've been here a really long time. Uh, but I'm part of the family, so I'm so thankful to get to be here uh, and share a story with you guys. Now, like you have been a part the last few weeks, you know, we have been covering giant, uh, giant sections of the Old Testament. So you guys ready to jump in with me? Thumbs up if you're ready. Awesome. Now, first, you might be wondering, why is there a lawn chair and balloons up here? And that would be a very good question. So what I'm going to do so I'm going to sit down here to start us off tonight. Whoa, almost fell back there. And tell a little story. You guys ready for a story? Awesome. I'm going to tell you guys a story about a guy named Larry. Larry's boyhood dream was to fly. When he graduated from high school, he joined the Air Force in hopes of becoming a pilot. Unfortunately, poor eyesight disqualified him when he was finally discharged. He had to satisfy himself with watching jets fly over his backyard. One day, Larry had a bright idea. He decided he wanted to fly. He went to the local Army Navy, Sur Army Navy surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. The weather balloons, when fully inflated, would measure more than four feet across. Back home, Larry securely strapped the balloons to his sturdy lawn chair. He anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with the helium. He climbed on for a test while it was still only a few feet above the ground, as you can see here. This is a true story about a true guy. Satisfied it would work, Larry packed several sandwiches and a loaded pellet gun figuring he could pop a few balloons when it was time to descend. He went back to the floating lawn chair. He tied himself in along with his pelican and his provisions. Larry's plan was to lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet above his backyard and after severing the anchor and in a few hours come back down after hanging out for a little bit. Things did not quite work out that way. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he didn't float lazily up to 30 feet or, so, or even 100 feet. Instead, he streaked into the sky as shot as if shot from a cannon. He didn't level off at 30 feet, nor did he level off at 100 feet. After climbing and climbing, he leveled off at 11,000 feet. At that height, he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons, lest he unbalanced the load and really find himself in some trouble. So he stayed there, drifting, cold and frightened for more than 14 hours. Now, I want you to put yourself in Larry's, Larry's shoes for a second. Because what Larry lacked in intelligence, I believe in that moment when he started streaking off into the sky, once you get past 100 feet and you're going off like a cannon, you, you get some perspective in your life, right? You're gonna get some things you're like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to die. And in those death-defined moments, that is when I believe Larry was thinking, man, I should have been nicer to my mom. He was thinking, Man, those relations, he, he had such clarity, I believe, on perspective of life. He knew what was important. He knew what really mattered because he was literally looking at death, sitting at 11,000 feet in the air. And what I wanna talk to us a little bit about tonight is without proper perspective in our life, when I say proper perspective, what I mean is if we operate in life without God's perspective on our life, we're gonna end up going places we never intended to go and end up in really dangerous spots like our friend Larry, that we never intended to be at. And so as we talk about perspective, the, the question we're gonna ask is, well, how do we get that perspective? Because most of us don't wanna have a death-defying moment 
to have to gain that perspective. I don't want any of us to have to be sitting 11,000 feet in the air in a lawn chair to have to gain that perspective. And the answer is really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. We have to read the Bible. That's the only way for us to properly see from God's perspective in a way that helps us not go somewhere we never intended to go. And so that's what we're gonna look at tonight. We're gonna look at the back half of the Old Testament, the story of Israel and God, um, and we're gonna look at that. And look, but more than anything, we're gonna look at how it intersects with your life here in 2021. Because what we are talking about these last several weeks, it matters to your life right now. And I hope we can show that to you tonight. So here's the one point, if you're taking notes, the one main point we're gonna come back to over and over and over again tonight is this. If you make yourself king, you will become a slave. If you make yourself king, you will become a slave. And so like I said, tonight we are talking about the story uh, in the back half of the Old Testament, and it's the story of God and Israel. There are two characters in the story, God and Israel. In Israel, when Caleb left us, off la- left us off last week, Israel had taken over the promised land. They had come in, they had gotten rid of all the people who were in that land, they had taken it over, and God had been their king, and he raised up judges to protect the Israelites, to kind of take care of them, kind of be temporary rulers, but God was ultimately their king. But we come to scripture in 1 Samuel 8 and we see the Israelites come to God with a request. So 1 Samuel 8, chapter five through nine says this. They, the Israelites, said to, said to him, Samuel, you are old and your songs do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Israel wanted to be just like everyone else. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, who was God's prophet. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me, God, as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights." The Israelites wanted to be just like everyone else. And in the process of them doing that, they stiff-armed the very identity God had given them. God had set them apart. He had made them a holy nation, a nation that was meant to be different from everyone else. So in that way, they would shine the light of God to the world for everyone else to see. And tonight, I want to remind us as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, that is the same calling we have on us. We are meant to be different. We are meant to be set apart and to not look like the world. We are not meant to be like everyone else. And that means our dating relationships, they don't look like everyone else's. That means the way that we treat the bullies in our school, the enemies we might have, has to look different from everyone else. It means the way you treat that weird kid in class that no one else wants to talk to, means you treat them differently from everyone else because you're not meant to be the same as everyone else, just like Israel wasn't meant to be themselves. So Israel refused God's kingship and they sought to make themselves king. And like we're gonna see tonight, if you make yourself king, eventually you will become a slave. And so we're talking about the story of God and Israel tonight. So I wanna take a second and look at some of the Israelite or the story of Israel and kind of what happens here. What happens when Israel says, hey, we wanna make ourselves king. The first king they have is King Saul. And King Saul, if you've read about him in the Bible, is, is the prototypical person you would think of as a king. He's tall, he's handsome, he's a strong warrior, a strong leader. He's very well respected. But very early on in his kingship, he makes a small mistake and decides he knows better than God 
and decides to make himself king. He disobeys a direct command from God because he thinks, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I completely obey what God says. And because of that sin, God rejects Saul as king and says, Saul, you and your, your lineage is no longer gonna be king here. And so then God anoints King David, who was like a teenager at the time, anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And this is where, if you've heard the story of David and Goliath, this is when David and Goliath happens. David is anointed the next king of Israel. He slays Goliath, defeats the giant, and becomes a hero in all the kingdom of Israel. And what does this do to Saul? It enrages him with this crazy jealousy that causes Saul to literally lose his mind as he tries to murder David on multiple occasions. He spends the rest of his kingship chasing David around the countryside in this crazy jealousy because he wants to hold on to being king. And so we see Saul made himself king. He decided he wanted to do things his own way and he became a slave. Saul became enslaved to jealousy and it led to his demise. So after King Saul, we get to King David. And King David started off incredibly. He was a mighty man of God. First Samuel 13 says he was a man after God's very own heart. He was an incredible warrior, an incredible king. He led Israel to military victory after military victory. The kingdom of uh, Israel expanded incredibly under David until one day he decided he wanted to do things his own way and become his own king. And so in a weak moment, David sends off his army and doesn't go with him. He sends off his army to battle and he stays in Jerusalem in his palace. And in that weak moment, he ends up having an affair with one of his general's wives, gets her pregnant, and then has her, has her husband murdered on the battlefield. And y'all thought the Bible was boring. That's some drama right there. He, murder, he has her husband murdered and then he ends up getting her pregnant and then as punishment, God calls him out on it because he tries to cover it up. He calls him out on it and he loses the baby because of it. And from that moment on, there's something different about David's kingship. He spends almost the rest of his kingship running for his life from his other son, Absalom, who tries to take over uh, his father's throne. And he spends the rest of his kingship trying to just kind of survive and figure things out. And so like we see here, David sought to be his own king, not let God be king, and it led to him being a slave. David was enslaved to lust and it led to his removal and demise, ultimately his death. Then we get to his son, King Solomon, takes over for David. And King Solomon, much like his father David, started off incredibly strong. The kingdom of Israel expanded under his rule. He was an incredible leader. He was actually one of the most generous uh, kings that Israel would ever have. And he made this giant, enormous offering to God one time. And God came to him and literally said, Solomon, what do you want? I will give you anything you want. How many of you guys would like God to tell you that? I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And so because of that, Solomon then became one of the wisest people to ever live as well as one of the richest to ever walk the earth. And God was with him. He actually ended up becoming, uh, and built, he actually ended up building the temple, which is the permanent home where God was gonna dwell with his people forever. But like his father David, he sought to make himself king eventually and became a slave because he then disobeys God, a very straightforward command of God where God told the Israelites, you are not to marry foreign women because God knew that foreign women who weren't Israelites would turn their hearts from God. And so Solomon, much like his father David before him, had 700 wives and 300 mistresses and he stopped following the Lord. He turned his back on God. And things went very badly for God from Israel because if you seek to make yourself king, you will become a slave. 
And Solomon became a slave to lust, just like his father. And it led to his demise and ultimately a lot of trouble for the kingdom of Israel. And so we get to this point where King Solomon ends, the kingdom of Israel is kind of in, its, in this, this rocky place and it ends up splitting into two kingdoms. You can see it on the map on the screens here. You see there's a Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The kingdom splits in two. They're all still God's people, but the kingdom is now split between two kingdoms. And over the next three to 400 years, there are a total of 38 kings between Israel and Judah. And of those 38 kings, a little crowd participation here, if you're here or even on your campus, how many of those 38 kings do you guys think remain faithful to God? Three, zero, how many? Okay, everyone hold up a, a hand, I guess five. Five. Five of the 38 kings remain faithful to the Lord. They weren't perfect, but they sought to stay faithful to the Lord, only five. And so after this three to 400 years, Israel kind of comes to this moment. They've been consistently not letting God be their king. They consistently stiff arm him and say, no, we wanna do things our way. They consistently said no to God and to God's ways. But I want you to know that through all of these three to 400 years, God was not just sitting on the silent or sitting on the sidelines, letting his people just do their thing. He had these guys called the prophets and he had sent prophets to Israel consistently throughout all this time to beg them to turn back to him. And God went to extreme lengths to beg his people to turn back him, not because he hated them and wanted to force them to follow him, but because he loved them because he knew they were walking a road that was leading towards slavery. And he didn't want that for them. And so we see some of the prophets, and again, God, was, God had his prophets guys do some crazy, crazy things to get their attention. Here's a couple of random examples of just some, some crazy things that God had his, his prophets do. First, we see Isaiah 20, verse two. So Isaiah was one of the prophets of God. <clears throat> And Isaiah 20 says, at that time, the Lord spoke to, through Isaiah, son of Amos, to the people. He said to him, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going stripped and barefoot. So let me just read between lines for you. I did a little extra research. God makes Isaiah preach for three years with no shoes on in his underwear, okay? That's what sackcloth means. He means he was preaching in his underwear. Isaiah is going around for three years in his whitey tighties, telling everyone, hey, you need to turn from God and repent because otherwise you're gonna be led away as a slave, barefoot and naked. So I want you guys to imagine me, no, I'm totally kidding. Do not imagine me in my underwear, that would be really bad. Um, but that's the point is Isaiah was telling the people of Israel, turn back to God or you're gonna be led away in complete shame and embarrassment as slaves. Next we see Ezekiel chapter four, verses 12 through 13, where uh, God says, eat the food, he's talking to Ezekiel, eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Poor Ezekiel. He had to eat bread made from human crap, basically. That's horrible. But God, what God was saying was, hey, Israel, turn back to me or you're gonna have to eat food like this. This is what it's gonna result in. You're gonna, result, you're gonna be slaves one day if you don't turn back to me. And so these are just two tiny examples of literally hundreds of things God did to beg his people to come back to him, not because he uh, hated them or wanted to force them to love him, but because he loved them and he knew they were headed towards slavery and that's not what he wanted for them. And I feel especially burdened tonight in this room and in, in whatever room you're in to say there are some, some of you in here who this last year you have run from God. You have stiff-armed the ways of God for a variety of reasons. And this last year has been insane for a lot of reasons. 
but God has sent you fuse group leaders. He sent you parents. He sent you pastors, friends, teachers, other students in your fuse group who have been begging you to come back to fuse, who've been begging you to come back to the Lord and you stiff arm them. And I wanna encourage you tonight, don't do that anymore. God's heart for you, the heart of your fuse group leader is not to force you to do anything. It's because they love you and they know the path that you're walking down is going to lead to slavery at some point. And they don't want that for you. They want life and freedom for you. And so like we've talked about tonight, if you make yourself king, you will become a slave. So what happened to Israel after these three to 400 years of consistently rebelling God against God, consistently stiff arming him in his ways? <clears throat> well, we see the kingdom of Israel became literal slaves. In 722 BC, the Assyrian empire comes and conquers the Northern kingdom of Israel and takes them away as slaves to a foreign land. And in 586 BC, the Babylonian empire they come and conquer Judah and take them captive as slaves to a foreign land. The people of Israel were taken away as literal slaves. God's patience, his grace, and his compassion had expired on his people. It was time for them to hit rock bottom and they led them to literal slavery for the next several generations. And so I wanna go back to our friend Larry Launch here, here for a second. Our good buddy sitting up there at 11,000 feet, just freezing cold for 14 hours. Much like our friends, the Israelites, Lair was in trouble and he needed some rescuing because believe it or not, his balloons ended up drifting out over the Pacific Ocean, which is absolutely terrifying. And luckily for him, uh, a pilot, a plane saw him, which can you imagine being that pilot? Uh, we, got a, um, uh, we got a guy in a lawn chair and a gun uh, floating here at 11,000 feet. We need to do something about that. Um, <laughs> but... Ultimately, the, they, they ended up sending a helicopter to Larry. They ended up uh, throwing a little rope down to him and dragging him basically back down and, and rescuing him. Now, of course, as soon as he got there, he was arrested immediately because you cannot do this. So any of you guys thinking about trying this at home, do not because you will get arrested immediately and I don't wish any of you to die. Um, but Larry was rescued ultimately. And so what happens to our Israelites? They are in captivity for decades, for several generations. They are complete slaves in foreign lands. But what happens next is God rescues the Israelites. He has grace and compassion because ultimately they're still his people and he still has a plan for them. And so after around 100 years, the people of Israel end up coming back to their land. They come back, they rebuild Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple. You can read about it in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra because God wasn't done with them yet. But this time was a little different. Israel had hit rock bottom and so they came back, excited about building their nation again, excited about reconnecting this relationship with God they had lost. But this time, God went silent. And God didn't speak to his people for more than 400 years. And what God was doing in that time was he was preparing the way to solve Israel's ultimate problem that they weren't even really aware of. And that was the problem of sin in their life. Because just like you and just like me, all of us, we are not capable of making God king in our, own, in our own might, our own muster. We need God to do it for us. And so that's why after 400 years of silence, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us because that is the only way that our relationship with God could be made right permanently. That was the only way that God's chosen people could have relationship with him 
and be the light to the nations that they were made to be. And so the last point I have for us tonight is just this. Jesus is the only one who can free us from slavery. Jesus is the only one who can free us from slavery because truly, guys, the, only, the entire point of the Old Testament, the entirety of it, you're gonna have 800 to 900 pages of the Bible. The entire point of that section of scripture is to strictly point you straight to the person of Jesus Christ. The entirety of the Old Testament is meant to say, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own strength. You're gonna consistently try and consistently fail trying to do it on your own. But Jesus is the only way to do it. He's the only way to gain proper perspective in our lives so that we can walk towards freedom and not towards slavery. And so the question I have for you tonight is who sits on the throne of your heart? Who truly is the king of your life? Like not just what you say, I'm a Christian, no, what do you actually do? What is your life, what does the action of your life show is the king of your life? And that's the question I want you to ask tonight and think about tonight. Because if you make yourself king, you will become a slave. But the good news tonight, guys, is that through Jesus, Jesus is the only one who can free us from that slavery and walk us into a life that we could never even imagine that is so great and so close with God and so rich it's gonna be filled with abundant life. So I would love to pray for you guys tonight, pray for you at every campus, and then a pastor will be out to close things out and lead us into our next time of worship. Father, we love you so much. I thank you so much for the privilege of getting to be here tonight. And I pray, Father, that whatever you've spoken to the lives and the hearts in this room and at everyone listening, that you would allow us to not just be hearers of the word tonight, but doers of the word. Speak to us tonight, God, and show us what is the step, Father? What are the things in our life that we've not given to you that you are not truly the king of? Show us that, Father. We worship you the rest of this night with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.